Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. All right. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day. Welcome to the Veterans Path Podcast. This is John McCaskill, your host, and today my guest is Doc Shauna Springer. And I say doc for a reason instead of doctor, and you'll get that in the interview. But Doc Springer, she's known for her pop culture and mainstream insights in psychology and interpersonal relationships affecting all people, originating from what she has gleaned from two decades of work at the extremes. She's an expert in trauma. She's a psychologist. She's an author. Her most recent book is Warrior, How to Support Those Who Protect Us. And it's an excellent read, and I'm honored to have her here with me today. Hey, welcome to the show, Doc. Great to have you. Thanks for having me, John. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to know you a little bit better and getting to know a little bit more about what it is you do in the mental health arena and and share your book. I know you've got a book that's recently come out and it's definitely within the mental health arena, so we definitely want to share that. And uh, and then everything that you work with in, in the trauma arena and transition, military transition. But before I get into that, I want to get to know how did you even get into these spaces? Can you can you give us a little background there? I wish I could tell you that I had like this grand master plan and you know kept on this track and had all this intention around it, but that's not the truth. Um, <laughs> Rarely is. <laughs> yeah, I was supposed to go to law school, um, take over the family business, and uh, decided that psychology was a better fit for me after being an English major. So I didn't have any background in an undergrad. And I think what helped me feel at home with, with warriors was actually just how I was raised, which was really unconventional, even by California standards. Um, and I'm happy to share, you know, if you want, but um, basically. Sure, if you're comfortable doing so. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever read The Great Santini? Oh, yeah. yeah as a matter of fact, funny enough, we were talking about calling Corman and PAs and everybody docs before. We had a doc at SEAL Team 10 with the last name Santina, Santini, so Doc Santini, but we called him the great Santini. And, uh, and that came up just a, just a while ago in a conversation with the, the great Marine, great Santini. Yeah. I sure do it. I know it. So my dad read that um, and thought that's a great way to raise kids. <laughs> so, that's that's right. That should be a study of how not to raise kids. Well, yeah, I love him. Um, and, you know, there's some good things about the way he pushed us, but it was extreme. You know, he and my mom got us up at five in the morning when we were little kids, like five or wow. six. Got wow. Us running around the track in the dark. And every year we would compete in the local track meet with teams that said property of, you know, Team Howarth, my maiden name. And um, so it was that and it was the the campaign against fear, you know, give you $10 if you'll jump off this high dive before you can swim or, you know, sending us down to South America in the summers. I was 10 when I went on my first trip to Mexico city um, by myself. No so, way. 
yeah, it was like free range parenting on steroids. I just, <laughs> here's, the, here's the picture. It's like a Polaroid in those days, right? Here's the Polaroid of the family that you're going to find and meet and live with. And you're going to go with them and do the work they do in Mexico city for people that live in the garbage dump. Um, wow. So those kinds of experiences happened, you know, throughout my childhood. And then it instilled in me a commitment to service. And so even in college, when I didn't have to, when I wasn't kind of sent to South America by my parents, I still ended up doing a lot of uh, adventures in South America that were mission focused. Um, I worked at a camp for kids of polio in the, the, um, in Peru up in, um, what was the name of that town? Oh, it was like out in the countryside, Pucallpa. Pucallpa, Peru. They had a camp for kids of polio there and then lived on the Amazon for a while with the Shipibo Indians. Um, they hunted alligators at night. And so just having these experiences, I had a, a full and active life before I ever went to college or got into psychology. And these things are what help warriors feel like home to me. So even though I've never served in the military and you know certainly wouldn't want to have anyone think that I did, um, it's just these experiences that have helped me become a trusted, um, kind of adopted member, if you will, into the tribe, not blood family, but. <laughs> right. So, so was your father, like, when he adopted this great Santini methodology for raising you, was he in the military? No, no. He had, he had gotten admitted to Annapolis and Harvard and went the Harvard route. And he was, a he is a trial lawyer. Okay. Um, so he's a frightening person in his own way, but um, not not a military service member. So you've you've done all this. I mean, this sounds like you could write a book about this. I don't know if you've written a book about this this part that you've already discussed, but that that could be a book in and of itself. Um, so you go from working with the the uh, camp for polio in South America. You go from doing all this, you come back to the States and you decide that you're going to be at the time, you decide you want to go, I think you said English for your, your undergrad and, and, and your plan at the time was to work towards becoming a, a, a trial lawyer. Yeah. How did the change in the plan, how did that come about? I started studying for the LSAT. <laughs> And I thought, I am not having any fun. Like there's so much friction here and so much drag on like what I enjoy that maybe I should really listen right now to my own experience and realize this is not the path for me just because I have this, you know, kind of future laid out for me and it seems very appealing on paper and, you know, it's a good path and an honorable path to fight for people in terms of that aspect, it's not for me. Um, and so I got a couple of different jobs in psychology, worked at the Mass General Hospital um, through the Harvard Medical School in the Depression Clinical Research Program, had some great mentors there that I'm still in touch with many years later, um, did some work with kids um, over at the, the Harvard pediatrician like focused medical research division and um, went from there. So I had a lot of catch up to do, but in the end it was good because I wasn't getting a repeat. You know, I hadn't taken the courses before. And so right. when I came into the courses I took in grad school, I think it helped me to have a really different um, 
lens on things and a filter on things. And I'll give you an, I'll give you an example if it's okay. Absolutely. So here's one that I don't think I've ever shared publicly, but um, I used to, when I was with my patients, often use stories and literature and um, narratives to really help them understand concepts in non-clinical ways. So for example, I would talk about with veteran patients I served in the VA, the story of Odysseus and that piece of the story where there's Circe is like an advisor and she tells them what to expect, you know, when they're going to, they're going to cruise past the Island of the Sirens. Right. And they're going to hear these beautiful voices calling to them. And they're going to want to jump off the boat and swim in where they're going to waste away until they become a heap of moldering bones and withering skins. And so what they must do is, you know, put the wax in their own ears. Odysseus, of course, as we know, is tied to the mast. Tied to the boat. Yep. Right. And um, that his friends are to tie him tighter. If he cries out and says, release me, let me go, that they know that's the way of death. So I read this whole story to them and then really got them thinking about, you know, what is that voice of anxiety in your life? Like, how does it compare to the voice of the sirens? And if we know that it's a way of death, what is my role? And a lot of them said Cersei. And I would say, no, I don't really want to be Cersei. You know, I'm not all knowing. Uh, Don't put me on a pedestal. I'm not your savior. Um, (laughs) But I might be on your boat. And I might be in the position to have to challenge you to evolve and tie you to the mast. And I want your permission to do that because I'm going to push you and challenge you because I believe therapy can evolve you as a warrior. And so I would use narratives like that to help them understand who I am to them, who they are in the story. They're the you know protagonist of their own story, not me, and how we're going to work together to help them evolve and move through trauma into post-traumatic growth. Wow. I love that. How did you decide that was the methodology that you were going to use telling stories and having a narrative to, to, I guess, communicate with those who have been through trauma. I wish I could tell you it was really intentional (laughs) (laughs) all along, but uh, it just, it's just how I think because I was an English major, you know, I Uh, I read, you know, all of these beautiful, you know, stories and in the literature and really thought about how Shakespeare is a psychologist and any good writer has to have a bit of a psychologist in them if they're going to present character stories and arcs in a compelling way. Really good actors are too. They really know how to profile people because if you don't, you can't convincingly portray a character. So I just think that psychology is kind of something that's not just owned by psychologists, but by people who can understand and predict behavior and um, help other people understand kind of their own human experience. I love that psychology is not owned by psychologists. I'm writing that down here. That's fantastic. And, and, I, and I think it's important to, to understand. Yeah. And, and related to that, docs are not just people with a doctoral degree. Like when we talk about doctors and docs, like when I talk about those concepts in my book, it really isn't about the degree. It's about the approach to practice. And certainly a corpsman or a PA or anybody that someone trusts that walks with them in those valleys is a doc. Right. Somebody who wants to heal, whether it's physical healing or mental healing. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, I I like that too. 
So you're, you're working now as the chief psychologist of the Stella Center. Can you tell us about the Stella Center and what it is you guys are doing? Yeah. Stella is, uh, is launched out of Chicago um, fairly recently, came together as a collaboration with Dr. Eugene Lipov, who is a pioneer of the stellate ganglion block. This is an injection of an anesthetic in a cluster of nerves here in the neck, a few inches above the collarbone, that reboots the fight or flight system. And first time I heard about it was through a special forces medic I was seeing at the VA. So I actually started kind of doing this in the last six months of my time at the VA. I was there eight years. And one of my patients who had worked really hard in therapy asked me if I could get this for him. And I'd never heard of it. Like many people I talked to, they'd never heard of it. So um, together, he and I went to a friend of mine who is a medically qualified anesthesiologist, reviewed some of the literature and decided to provide this to him. And it was fascinating and very compelling because we had worked so hard in therapy, but when he, he got calm, when we addressed the biological injury of his trauma and kind of reset the fight or flight system, he was able to dig in so much deeper into the therapy that we were doing and really change his relationships with his wife, with his kids. Like it just, he took off in a totally new directory. And I was like, who else have I been trying to work really hard to help? And like, maybe this could be the thing that really helps change their equation so that I can do the things I can do and get them to a different place. And so I treated like five patients before I left the VA. I thought that was amazing. And then um, kind of came back around to it when people kept calling me and saying, I'm done, I'm in crisis. You know, I don't think I want to live anymore. And I would say, well, well hold on, there's this thing that can we just please try this and started sending my patients to Dr. Lipov in Chicago. And it saved lives of some of the people who called me and said, you're my last call. And after I had enough of those experiences, I said, I have to really, again, hear and see what I'm, I'm observing in, in this pattern here. And, um, and, and start to build understanding of this treatment, not that it's a cure or that it's the only option, for sure. Um, in fact, I really think uh, it's a combination of the biological and the psychological, which is maybe where I come in. And then the, the social is that finding your tribe and that peer support, as well as that wellness community and meditation and yoga and you know healthy diet and holistic wellness has to be part of that whole you know kind of treatment plan. So there's no hero in this. It's Medicine is a team sport. Um, it's just where I'm at. I like that. Uh, and, uh, and as we kind of discussed before I hit record, that you know, mindfulness and meditation, that's what we teach at, at Veterans Path, but it's not a panacea, and that it can be a, a piece of the puzzle to healing completely. And so this, this ganglion block is potentially a piece of the puzzle for others healing as far as how it resets the fight or flight mechanism. How does it do that? So I'm not an MD. I will try my best, but um, you know, don't, don't hold me to exactly the scientific rigor of that. For that, I would say Dr. Lipov has an article that's a unifying theory of stellate ganglion block in the literature that is a resource for people. But here's my understanding of that. 
The stellate ganglion block is a cluster of nerves in the neck that mediates the fight or flight system. When it, it gets locked into gear, which my patients have described as kind of being unable to throttle down, they say, I'm right. like a muscle car and I can't, I'm always like revving at a high speed and I can't throttle down to neutral. I'm just locked in that fight or flight state that the, the anesthetic medication, which is a very, very commonly used anesthetic. It's not a psychoactive medication. Um, it doesn't stay in your system. It won't cause you to pop positive. It's like very precision medicine that bathes that cluster of nerves and flips off that switch from being stuck in like chronic threat response, state of fight or flight, you know, survival mode. And so people are able to re restore themselves to, to a sense of calm. And, you know, it's fascinating, John, like what they say, like people that don't know each other at all say like the same few things. They will say, it feels like someone just took a thousand pound weight off my own body, off my chest. Um, they will say, um, I have not felt this calm in years. And one of the guys that we saw recently said, I forgot how beautiful the world is when my brain stops telling me it's trying to kill me. <laughs> yeah, that negativity response or negativity bias, if you're continually in that, I mean, that, that, that can't be one, it's not healthy for you, but it's just not healthy for how you enjoy the world. Yeah. Um, so um, what is this? Is, so is it a one time thing or is this a treatment that is like several weeks long how does that work so here's how meditation comes in yoga <laughs> meditation right mindfulness because dr lipov you know he's not somebody who says i have the cure he really strongly and deeply believes in wellness including meditation and yoga nice and what we see is here's an analogy if you needed your knee replaced you would get the procedure to replace the knee that's like the address the injury part that's the acute right. treatment that's what the stellate ganglion block does is correct the biological injury associated with trauma. But then you have to like go to rehab. Like you don't just get your knee replaced and then see you later. Good luck. That's right. where you have to see a team of providers, in my opinion, good docs and people that can teach you skills like meditation and yoga that help you continue to regulate your system so that you create a new normal. Like that you can create and sustain a sense of calmness and well-being and self-control. It's, it's self-command through being able to regulate your own state. And so the stellate ganglion block can help people when they're locked in like survival gear, but you need all of that other psychological work and insight and meditation practice and yoga to maintain and get long-term gains. If you don't put in the work, you'd probably be back in like six months to a year we've had a few people like that, or they've had huge stressors in their life that they couldn't have anticipated and their anxiety and their, their adrenaline goes back up, but right. with the right support, yes, you can get it one time. And some people it's lasted for years and years. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. That's the, yeah. Powerful stuff. And I'm, I'm thankful as a veteran that you're working with veterans to, to get this to them. What does it, what does it cost for veterans? How do they get access to it? Yeah. So, I mean, right now there's a law being proposed in Congress called the Treat PTSD Act. Um, it was proposed by Congressman Scott Perry. You right. can look yep. it up if you want. He's a Republican congressman out of Pennsylvania. 
And um, this is not political for me. He asked me to be part of his team. And so he had six Republicans sign on. And as of last Friday, I got a call from my Democratic congressman saying he will, um, yes, he will co-sponsor the bill. So as of last Friday, we have bipartisan support. And nice. this law, yeah, this, I mean, there's steps to go, but this law would make this available throughout the VA. It's a very wow. to the point law. It says we would like this to be a treatment option for people that are seen in the VA. That would be a game changer. Or yeah. If my care picked it up. That would be a game changer. For right Absolutely. now, um, people can use health savings accounts to pay for it. And they can use, we have care credit. They can use, you know, like little short-term um, or long-term payments of- Yeah, that we try kind of finance use. it. Yeah, you can finance it. And then we give a 20% off to veterans <laughs> to answer your question. Uh, we charge just under $3,000, $29.50. But it's not just for the one injection because that price includes 80% of people get the relief with that first injection. But there's anatomical differences. So sure. of the 20% that don't, we can do a treatment on the other side, on the left side, the next day. And 50% um, of those get the relief. So... So do you know that quickly, whether or not somebody is going to feel the relief? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I can, I can, I can show you if, you know, if you take a look at, I'll send you some of the, um, not only the patient stories, but there was actually Pentagon federal uh, credit union has a media group unconnected with us. There's no financial relationship. We're not in any partnership or any financial relationship with them. They said, we're fascinated by this. Would you let us profile three of your patients? And they flew to Chicago and they watched Dr. Lipov do this. And then they taped this whole thing and taped right after the procedures. Um, and I have several additional patient stories that are Marines um, and an Air Force veteran that we've treated that got taped on the same day of the procedure just after. And they describe and appear, you can see it and hear it and look at it. Um, if it works, it's um, it's usually within 20 minutes of the procedure. <laughs> wow, that is incredible and good to hear. Yeah, because uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a piece of the puzzle for some. And and if that is the piece, that's the missing piece. Like you said, some people have said, "Hey, this is my last call," right? And if that's the missing piece that you're able to give to them, then you're saving lives. So thanks for thanks for doing what you're doing and. And uh, as far as the, the VA connection, my, my uh, sister is an LCSW with the, the VA, and I'm going to share this with her because I'm sure this is, uh, this is something that if the VA doesn't support it directly, she can at least make it known to those she's seeing that this is out there. So that's, that's pretty awesome. Where does she uh, which, uh, which um, in, in Boise. Okay. okay. Yeah. So. Um, got 10 VAs that are doing this. Yeah. Not in Boise, as far as I'm aware. Three of them are in California, um, and then there's a few others, but yeah. Cool. And now, in your bio, it also mentions your, your being an expert on trauma, which we've discussed, but also in military transition. How, does, how do those two tie together as far as your being an expert on those? And then how do they tie together as far as what it is you're teaching? Yeah. And, and your book. Thanks for that question. 
So um, I would say we've, we've only discussed the anxiety part of trauma here, which is what most of the, the field has focused on, you know, the anxiety floods and the surges of irritability and then not sleeping and that part of trauma. So, so my work as a general kind of overall global view of warrior is actually not about that at all. Um, and in warrior, I talk about all of the things that I wish I had understood 10 or 11 years ago when I started working with warriors. Um, so it's got 10 chapters and the chapters in the book are about things like survivor guilt and how that can lead to suicide. Right. Um, oh yeah. I battled with that big time. Yeah. That was, that was the root. Uh, and I, you know what, I'm sorry to, to hijack the conversation, but um, that was the root of my depression, stress, and anxiety. And yeah. I did not even realize it for years because I'd boxed it up and kind of pushed it aside. Yep. And, uh, and then I, and then I went and sought counseling and I just told them, Hey, I'm dealing with depression. I'm dealing with stress and I'm dealing with anxiety. And the talk counseling was good. It helped. But until I sat down and I meditated and the, the, the survivor guilt bubbled to the surface. And I was like, that is the cause yeah. of what it is I'm dealing with. And then I was able to go to the counseling and really process it. That was a game changer. So sorry, sorry yeah. to interrupt. <laughs> no, that's not. I mean, any, anytime that's exactly it. It's, it's so often at the root of people's hidden pain. Mm -hmm. And so warrior is a story, not about the trauma that we talk about. It's really not about combat trauma or the myth that deploying to combat causes PTSD or suicide for most people. Um, it's about the things that we don't ask about that we don't know about as, you know, healers about how that survivor guilt, just surviving when someone you love, like a brother or sister dies, changes the entire moral framework of your life going forward. And what I saw so often to go back to your question about military transition is that it's a time when you walk the wasteland and there's so much risk in that period of time in terms of the identity crisis that many people face, the just your life is thrown into a blender. Um, you, the minute you drive off base or out of your last duty station, you, you lose the connection to your family that you've known. It's not just coworkers, it's an emotional amputation from the family that you've served with for many, many years. And so all of these things together produce a lot of um, stress and challenge in people's lives. And the effects show, like for most of us, you know, maybe they're drinking too much for a while or can't hold down a job or yell at their kids or their wife. And the problem is when you go back to that person you lost, often what I would find is my patients would say, who am I to live when that person that I love that was worthier than I was killed in battle. It should have been me. They never would have struggled like this. They wouldn't have yelled at their kids. They wouldn't have, you know, had too much to drink. They, so you, I got this common theme that I was observing of, um, we compare ourselves to the ghosts of those we've lost that we love. And as long as we do that, we can begin to grow a kind of shame that can become cancerous over time and make us feel as though we are the problem, we're the, the problem and the liability and the danger to our, our family comes because of us, because of who we are, how we're not, we're not the same person we once were. Mm 
And then that then triggers a whole bunch of like predictable um, cascades of, of thinking and behavior that are tragic. And it doesn't account for every suicide loss, but there are just these vectors like, you know, survivor guilt connected to suicide loss, moral injury, um, traumatic grief, the suicide loss of a friend, uh, relationship rage, these things that are very connected to suicide risk that most of the time never even come up. Um, so that's what warrior is about. It's all of that pain, all of those, what I call foxes in our gut that eat us from the inside out that people aren't even aware of uh, most of the time, unless, you know, they have insight. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you could tell just um, in, in looking at, at the, at the camera here, when you, when you talk through some of that stuff, it, um, it affected me. Like I had to, I had to clench my jaw just to keep from, keep from getting really emotional there. And I know that many of the listeners are probably experiencing some of the same things, some of the same emotions that I just experienced as you shared what the book is about. So thank you for writing the book. Um, and, and thank you for the content in the book. I think that's important and it's really going to, it's really going to help to save lives and really open up the eyes of those around us to some of the things that veterans are experiencing that aren't necessarily post-traumatic stress, um, aren't necessarily traumatic brain injury, aren't necessarily X, Y, or Z, but they're still leading to potential destructive behaviors. Um, whether it's whether it's the very end of that spectrum with suicide or anything between that you mentioned, I mean, bringing it home to your family and and putting this that stress on them that's that's a destructive behavior both for yourself and for your family. Um, drinking drinking to excess that's a destructive behavior that you know a lot of people a lot of people might might not have even experienced combat, but they have friends who they were with who experienced combat and died. And they tell themselves negative stories, you know, hey, I should have been there to fight or I don't I don't warrant the stress and anxiety that I'm carrying because I never saw combat. That's another whole side of the story is that there, there are veterans who may never have seen combat, but still suffer the negative and destructive behavior that comes from being connected or feeling a, a sense of guilt for not having seen combat. Yeah, um, so uh, powerful. The premise of the book is that there yeah. are injuries that are more invisible and more insidious than the so-called invisible injuries of war. And right. that things like guilt and shame are, in my observation, more closely related to suicidal ideation. And that this is not connected with combat deployments. Right. Uh, we have to kind of really confront the myths, first of all, and then really open our understanding of really how the human condition plays out among our warrior, our warriors, whether they deployed or not. People right. who are wired like warriors have a, a common set of experiences in many cases. Absolutely. And the title of your book, Warrior, How to Support Those Who Protect Us, and then the explanation says brings the worlds of the warrior and those they protect together to shine new light on things that many thought we understood 
trust, stigma, firearms, the imploding mind, and connection. Wow, I mean that title and the and the explanation there of the book is is uh, even more powerful, right, than than what we've discussed there. But it goes into detail about the connection between the warrior and those um, they protect. And I think that's that's an important connection that the warrior quite often forgets that there is. Hey, there's there's this. We talk about military transition, and you're like, hey, I'm I'm leaving my tribe, I'm leaving my identity, but there is a connection between the warrior and those we protect, and that's a connection that we often, as warriors, forget that that, that exists. Um, so I, I I like the fact that you're highlighting that connection. Um, so as far as um, the military transition, close relationships, your expertise in trauma, your book, your the Stella Center and the work that you guys are doing there. What what else is there that you would like our listeners to make sure rather, what else is there you would like to make sure our listeners hear um, in, in this episode? I want people to know that I wrote Warrior, not just for the warriors themselves, but also for their loved ones at home. I think loved ones at home are desperate to understand the hidden pain of their warriors. And that many times warriors are out of the best of intentions will kind of withhold their own trauma experiences from their loved ones because they don't want to create additional trauma for their loved ones or have their loved ones see what they see in their mind's eye, right? That's sure. It is not necessary to share the details of your trauma with your loved one to experience deep and intimate connection with them. And if you construct it that way, that you've got to kind of just hold this inside and not share anything of what you're feeling about your experiences, then you will lose out on the chance of having real intimacy with your partner and your partner will be um, dealing with skyrocketing anxiety constantly because if they love you and they're connected to you, they see that something is wrong. They perceive it. They just don't know what it is. And any one of us would probably rather take out an enemy that we can see and plan and attack for than like that like shadowy figure behind the mountain. Like if you know what you're up against, if you know your enemy, how it, he fights, what weapons he uses, what strategies he will use to move against you in battle, you have something you can get traction with. And so I wrote this for loved ones at home, for the healers and docs across the VA and other treatment facilities to really understand that hidden pain and to help them get traction. And I really, um, this was such a labor of love that I read the entire Marine Rifle Squad manual. It's not an easy read, <laughs> but I took all of that. See, this is going back to our English major discussion. So right. I took all of that narrative of the tactical things that warriors are taught in terms of how to move in battle, at least Marines. And I combined that with a kind of psyops understanding of the, the counterinsurgency of the mind, the suicidal, you know, ideation that we can fall into and developed what I call a tactical analysis of mental warfare. And that really unpacks for people, you know, here are the things that people think and feel when they're at the end of that tunnel. And more important than that, here are the things that have a power that's greater than despair. Here's how you can turn to those in your tribe. And here are the weapons you have on your side to deploy against that voice if it comes calling. Mm 
Nice. And and your book is available now. It's available now um, in kind of Kindle and Amazon. Um, and I also just got back from doing the recording for the audio. Nice. So yeah, so if people Good are you. they're stressed, and that's getting produced, and it's going to be delivered. Uh, they tell me on December twenty second. All right, there you yeah. go. That's how I consume a lot of my books is on my commute Thank to you. and from work. So that's uh, that's outstanding. Good for you. So one thing I did neglect uh, to talk about is something that we talked about in the pre-show before I hit record, redefineyourmission.com. Oh, yeah. Can you um, talk about that? Thanks for that. Yeah. So redefineyourmission.com is a collaboration with Jennifer Tracy, who um, I met through a LinkedIn uh, contact uh, named Andrew Holy Cross. I don't know if you know. I know, I know Andrew. Yep. Yeah, Andrew. Okay. So Andrew said, I don't know why, but my gut tells me I just have to introduce you two women. And so we got on this really awkward phone call, like, (laughs) but here I am. And, and then as we started kind of sharing from our experience, it it soon became very clear that, you know, her work with the first responders and police officers and firefighters based on her own lived experience with a time of struggle and the insight that she's developed from that. And then my work with warriors as a psychologist and kind of bringing the psychology side to that would be a powerful combination. And so she invited me to join forces with her and she's really kind of helped um, create systems where we are packaging our two books together into a kind of online guided experience And then everybody who um, enrolls in this will get a video from each of us for each chapter of our book, like three to five minutes straight talk video, and then a summary of key points from each chapter, and then a set of questions. And our vision for that is to um, get it out to warriors and those who love them, to get it out to groups of warriors in their natural peer groups so they can kind of go through it together and then have these questions to to connect them with insight and with each other as they read through the material in the book, even in a virtual world. And then also um, to get this out to, I want to get this out to docs, docs in training, docs that are already deployed to really help them understand what warriors have helped me understand. Um, They've invested a lot of trust in me and I don't carry that lightly. I carry that as a sacred part of my purpose and wrote it in a way that I hope I got it right, but trying to present all those insights so that those who heal can understand um, what I've been taught by warriors. That's outstanding. I love it. Good for you guys. And and thank you for doing that uh, for our warriors and those who love them. So that's fantastic. It's a pleasure. Well, well, Doc Springer, it's been awesome having you on the show, uh, and I appreciate it. If someone wanted to reach out to you, if they had questions, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Uh, go to my website, which is Doc Shauna Springer, D O C S H A U N A Springer, S P R I N G E R. You are. Did I say that right? Yeah. 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 There's a there's a contact form on there that'll you know kind of helping me manage, you know, kind of my inbounds a little bit better. Um, sure. Uh, but yeah, so through my website, and then I just started an Instagram account, and I probably have like 10 followers. Um, so please <laughs> Instagram could be a double edged sword. I, I, I've just, I've just lived that myself, uh, where I had, I had, uh, I don't know, several thousand followers, but then I had somebody pose as me. And I was like, I don't know, who, I don't know who this is. So I, 
shut my account down and then I reopened it as a secure, I've just gone back and forth, but it can be a double-edged sword. So uh, yeah, (laughs) enjoy that journey. (laughs) Yeah. Well, awesome. Doc Springer, it's been awesome having you on the show and, and uh, yeah, I definitely love what it is you're doing uh, both with the Stella center and the book. And now with the redefineyourmission.com, I think it's fantastic. And I don't think that there can be enough resources like this that are out there. So thanks. Thanks for that. And thank you for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Anytime. Yeah, absolutely. And until we speak again, stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you. You too. For our listeners and viewers, thank you again for listening to or watching our show. Please check out Veterans Path online at veteranspath.org. We too are on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. If you're enjoying the podcast, please hit the subscribe button here on the podcast or here on YouTube. Leave us a comment, a review, a like, and again, share it with anyone you feel needs to hear our message. And remember, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Thank you all and have a blessed day. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives 